So Matthew 7, verses 1 to 12. Um, Judge not, that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you seek the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your, own, out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Ask and will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if a son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and of the prophets. Thanks, Andrew. Let's ask for God's help as we read this part of his word and seek to understand it together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, for the way that it reveals our sin and your goodness, the hope that we have in Jesus. Please give us wisdom and understanding by your spirit as we read these words together. And please work through them to change our hearts and grow us to be more like Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. You know, uh, there is not, uh, there's not much that's more annoying than someone who is self-righteous. I should know, I've been one of those people. Growing up, being the eldest child and being a perfectionist, it's easy to be proud and to be self-righteous. It came out at school. I remember one time when I was only six or seven and one of the kids at school gave me the finger. Now, I hadn't heard about the rude finger before and in my mind, such a thing was impossible. God made all the fingers. How could any of them be rude? And so, to show that I didn't believe in anything like that, I gave him the finger back. Now, I did get in trouble from the teacher, but it didn't matter. I was right. I was sure of it. Is that logic innocent and a little cute coming from a six-year-old? Yeah, a little. Is it self-righteous? For sure. It came out at home too. I have one younger sister. I remember being asked once whether my parents had favourites and I said yes, I was the favourite. I was pretty confident that I was a bad child. My parents would have been horrified if they'd heard that, let alone my sister. Came out of church too. I was very proud of my expertise at running the overhead projector. I loved having the answers at Sunday school. I was that annoying, self-righteous kid who hadn't realised yet just how much I needed Jesus. Just how much I needed grace. The problem is, as we seek to live out the radical heart obedience of Jesus' kingdom it's easy for us to fall into the same trap. It is easy for us to become very sure of our own righteousness 
and lose sight of our desperate need for grace. That's the attitude that Jesus confronts here in Matthew 7. You see, over the last few weeks, we've seen Jesus, God's promised king, sit down and he's called his disciples to live in his kingdom with this radical heart obedience. A heart obedience that fulfills the Old Testament commandments from the heart. A heart obedience that is willing to do good in secret for the sake of the reward from the heavenly father, not for the fickle praise of men. A heart obedience that seeks God's kingdom first without anxiety because we can be confident in the Father's love and care. Jesus said this is a heart obedience that should actually exceed the so-called righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, the religious bigwigs of Jesus' day. This is a righteousness that should reflect the perfection of our Heavenly Father. As we seek this righteousness, as we grow in it to be more and more like Jesus, it would be very easy for us to also become more and more self-righteous. But Jesus calls us to something different. In these verses, he's wrapping up his call to radical heart obedience that fulfills the Old Testament. And he wants us to see that this radical heart obedience of his kingdom, it means acting towards others with a right perspective of our own sinfulness and of the goodness of God. That right perspective, it will mean radical heart righteousness will also be humble righteousness. A righteousness that is humble towards others, dependent on God and doing good to all. Let's jump in and see for ourselves. First, this humble righteousness of Jesus' kingdom, it will mean being humble towards others. Humble by not judging others. Verse 1. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. You know, some people have taken these words of Jesus here as the central tenet of Christianity. Christians are not to judge others. We can have nothing to say about right and wrong. We can't tell people that they need to repent. And we can't be discerning about other people. You can't judge me, they say. But Jesus isn't talking about lacking any discernment here. Jesus wasn't afraid to talk about hell. He wasn't afraid to call people to repent. And Jesus himself will rebuke the Pharisees very harshly later in in Matthew. But Jesus is saying that his people won't be judgmental towards others. We won't judge others harshly because we will keep a right perspective on our own sinfulness and on God's goodness. See Jesus' warning here. The way that we judge others, we will be judged by God. If we are harsh and we refuse to show grace, we show that we haven't really understood the grace that God has shown us in Jesus. We will be judged without grace. If I gloss over my own sin while judging others harshly for theirs, then I'll be treated as I deserve by my Heavenly Father. 
It's the same as Jesus warned about in the Lord's Prayer. If we don't forgive others their sin against us, the Father won't forgive us. Because we've shown we haven't really got the gospel. We don't get how great his forgiveness is towards us. This is a serious warning that Jesus gives us. See, we need to keep a right perspective on our own sinfulness. That's what the picture Jesus uses in the next few verses is all about. We need to stop nitpicking the sin of others while being blind to our own sin. Verse 3. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take out the speck out of your eye, when there's a log in your eye? It's a vivid, comical picture, right? (laughs) And you don't have to be a carpenter's son, like Jesus was, to imagine it. If you've got a log sticking out of your eye... You can't see to get the sawdust out of your brothers, let alone when you knock them on the head as you try to do it. It's like playing operation with your oven mitts on. It's not going to happen. You're just going to hurt someone, probably the patient. And that's what it's like when we judge others harshly without realising our own sin first. We are so quick to spot the splinters in the lives of others and miss the huge gaping log in our own lives. This doesn't mean that we can never confront sin, but before we do, we need to get a right perspective on our own sin. Verse 5. You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye and then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. See, there is actually a place for us to confront each other over sin. There is a place to be discerning, but it has to start with examining ourselves, seeing our own sinfulness, seeing the log in our eye. I think Paul's talking about the same thing in Galatians 6, where he says, If anyone is caught in sin, you who are spiritual ought to restore him in a spirit of gentleness. But keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. It's only seeing our own sin, being aware of it, going to Jesus for help with it, that will keep us humble and gentle with each other, that will allow us to confront each other, not out of pride, but with grace for the sake of restoration. My younger self needed to hear this, but I need to hear it today too. Because it's too easy to fall into this kind of self-righteousness in the way we act with each other. It's too easy to lose sight of my own sin. It's easy for all of us. Maybe there are people in our church family who just get under your skin. You see their flaws like gaping wounds. They drive you nuts. How do they not see it? But watch out. Are you missing the sin in your own life? Are you quick to judge but not quick to repent? Now, if you're sitting there and you're thinking, geez, so-and-so needs to hear this. I really hope that they're listening this morning. Or if you're thinking, gee, I wish they were here today. Then I am talking to you. That is exactly what Jesus is talking about. 
He is warning you. Stop it. Jesus gives us a cure for this right here. First, take the log out of your own eye. Examine your life. Keep holding your life up to the spotlight of Scripture. Ask other mature believers that you trust to point out sin in your life. Ask the Holy Spirit to convict you and show you the logs that you're missing. Confess your sin to the Lord, to others if you need to. Make things right. Rejoice in the forgiveness we have in Jesus and extend that same forgiveness and grace to those around us. This log removal operation, it is not a one and done kind of deal. This life of regular repentance and confession and turning away from sin, it is going to keep going until Jesus comes back or we go to be with him. Keeping that perspective on our sinfulness is the only thing that will keep us humble towards others as we live out the heart righteousness of Jesus' kingdom. Now that doesn't mean that there's no place for discernment. Verse 6. Do not give dogs what is holy. and Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Jesus' words here, they seem to come out of the blue. All of a sudden he's changed metaphor. And they're a little enigmatic, I admit. But I think the idea is clear enough. As we extend grace and gentleness to others, because we've been shown grace and gentleness by God, we should still be wise and discerning. Some people will reject the gospel. They reject God's grace to us in Jesus. And they will keep put the God, and to keep putting the gospel before them is like throwing pearls to pigs. They will only trample them and attack you. It's not that we don't show these people grace. Jesus has only just said that we're to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. But we are wise and discerning with the way that we proclaim the precious message of the gospel. And as we pray. We trust that God will soften hard hearts. We don't do this harshly, but we are discerning with grace, humble towards others. This humble righteousness that Jesus is talking about, it's not just humble towards others, it's also dependent on God. That's the next thing we see. You see... Having a right perspective on our sinfulness and on the goodness of our Heavenly Father, it changes not just the way we relate to each other, but the way we relate to God. We will realise that we're totally dependent on Him. It's only His work in our hearts that can bring about this kind of radical heart righteousness that Jesus is talking about, this humble righteousness. This actually fits with everything we've seen in the Sermon on the Mount so far. Remember, Jesus began with blessed are the poor in spirit. Those who recognise their absolute need for God. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. We saw that we can come to our Heavenly Father with simple, kingdom-focused prayers because He knows our needs. That we don't have to live with anxiety over our day-to-day needs because our Heavenly Father cares for us and we depend on Him. How do we live out this dependence on our Heavenly Father? 
It's actually quite simple. We ask him. And we can ask with a guarantee that he'll answer. That's what Jesus says in verse 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks it will be opened. See, dependence on God looks like asking, seeking and knocking. Three pictures of coming to God in prayer and seeking his kingdom with our lives. Asking God to do his working in us. Seeking his kingdom by turning to him in faith. And knocking, going to him and knocking at his door for help. Like my kids knock on the door in the night, I guess. Again, this isn't a once-off. All of these are present tense. They are ongoing. Keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. Dependence on God will look like asking for his help and continuing to ask for the rest of our lives. But there's a wonderful guarantee. Did you spot it? If you ask, it will be given to you. God isn't trying to trick you. He's not being difficult. If we come to him in faith and ask him to provide what we need, he will provide. If we seek his kingdom, we will find it. If we knock, he will open to us. Now this isn't a blank check. It's not a guarantee that God will give us anything we ask, no matter what it is, like winning the lotto or a new Lamborghini. Remember, we're seeking his kingdom first. This is a guarantee that God will give us everything we need to live as his people of his kingdom. Our day-to-day needs and all we need to grow in this radical heart righteousness that he's calling us to. He will provide everything we need. And we can be sure of this because our Heavenly Father is good. That's the perspective we need. And that's the picture Jesus paints from verse 9. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven Give good gifts to those who ask him. Now, I think my kids are still a little surprised every time I give them a treat. Jess and I have been making pizzas for lunch to use up some leftover Lebanese flatbread. Uh, Incidentally, it makes for awesome pizza base. I'll give you that tip for free. Yesterday, I made one for the kids too. And I I called out for them to come out of rest time and have their pizza. And they loved it, and it warmed my heart. You see, I actually love giving good things to my kids. It gives me joy. If they ask me for water, I'm not going to give them poison. If they ask me for dinner, I might make them eat their veggies, but I won't give them scraps. Now, I'm a sinner. I often let my kids down. But if I love to give good things to my kids, how much more does our Heavenly Father? That's Jesus' point here. His disciples are sinners. Like us, their hearts are evil and they live out these evil desires in sin. 
but they still love to give good gifts to their kids. They don't give them stones or snakes for lunch. See, our Heavenly Father, He is perfectly good, perfectly loving, perfectly kind. There's no evil in Him. He loves to give us good. He will always give us what we need. He's not out to harm us. He's not a miser who wants to keep back the good stuff for himself. He's not out to spoil our fun. He's always working for our good. And he will answer our prayers. Maybe you never had a good father. Maybe you had a dad who was never around. Or a dad who would have given you stone instead of bread just to see the look on your face. Maybe you had a mean or an abusive dad. This language of Heavenly Father might jar with you a little bit. You might find it hard to trust God to give you what is good. If that's you, I want to say let your experience actually push you towards our Heavenly Father rather than away. See, we know that's not what a father is meant to be. We see it vividly in our lives and in the lives of those around it. And the fact that we know it's not right is meant to point us to our Heavenly Father, the one who would never let you down. He is what your dad should have been but could have never lived up to, no matter how good he was. Our Heavenly Father is always seeking your good, even at great cost to himself, even giving his own son to suffer and to die for our sins. See, when we have this in perspective, when we see that our father loves to hear his children, in fact, he invites us to keep coming to him, to keep asking, seeking, knocking, when we see that he doesn't give grudgingly, but he loves to give good gifts to his children, when we see this guarantee then this changes the way that we pray. See, we don't pray primarily as a duty. It's not a box to be ticked. We don't pray in order to impress God or to twist his arm. We don't pray because we have to. Prayer is a gift. It's coming to our loving Heavenly Father who just happens to be the ruler and God of the universe and asking him to work in our lives and in the lives of others. Trusting that he loves to give good to his children. He loves to hear our prayers. He welcomes us with open arms. Do you think of prayer as a duty? As something you have to do, but you don't really want to? Well, again, the antidote is to get some perspective, to get some perspective on the goodness of our Heavenly Father, who loves us and loves to give good to his people. If you want to grow in your prayer life, the answer is not to try harder. It's to wonder and be amazed at the goodness of our Heavenly Father and to come to him. He will answer. He will provide everything you need. Which brings us to our third and final aspect of humble righteousness. This righteousness is humble to others, dependent on God, and is doing good to all. There's this great story 
about Rabbi Hillel from around the same time as Jesus. He was a famous Jewish teacher and a Gentile challenged him to summarise the Old Testament law in the time that he could balance on one leg, which apparently wasn't very long. I don't know how good his balance was. But it's a comical scene, right? But Hillel's answer is very good. He said, what is hateful to you, do not do to anyone else. This is the whole law. All the rest is commentary. Go and learn it. Hillel, he boils down the law to this uh, one-leg standing summary. What is hateful to you, do not do to anyone else. Don't do to others what you wouldn't want them to do to you. It sounds good. In fact, it sounds a, a lot like Jesus' summary of the law here. Except there's one huge difference. One difference that makes a whole world of difference. See what Jesus says in verse 12. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Hillel's summary was negative. Don't do bad stuff to other people. But see what Jesus is? It's entirely positive. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do to them. This is more than just not doing bad. Jesus' summary is brilliant. It includes all the good that we would like others to do to us. It covers not just sins of commission, but sins of omission. Not just the things we've done, but the things we've left undone. Jesus is tying together everything he said so far in the Sermon on the Mount. Remember back in chapter 5, 17, he, he said he's come to fulfill all the law and the prophets, which is another way of saying all the Old Testament. It all points to him and it's all fulfilled in him. And now he sums up the whole law and the prophets. He ties everything together that he's been saying. You want a simple shorthand for the radical hard obedience of Jesus' kingdom? Here it is. Do to others what you would have them do to you. It's simple, but it's profound. If we have that perspective of our sinfulness and of the goodness of our Heavenly Father, then we will show grace to others. We will want to do good for others as we would want them to do for us. We'll want to care for them and provide them to gently confront sin when we need to. We'll want to point them to Jesus, to share the gospel with them, to see them too come to know the goodness of our Heavenly Father. This simple statement will change the way you parent with gentleness and grace. It will shape your marriage as you treat one another with love and faithfulness and forgiveness. It will shape your work as you work with integrity and serve others generously. It will shape your finances, the way you spend your time, how you vote. It will take careful reflection, but these words can shape your whole life as you live with the radical heart righteousness of Jesus' kingdom. This week... In every situation you're in, ask God to show you how to do to others what you would have them do to you. And then with his help, do it.
We can only live like this to others because God has graciously treated us like this in Jesus. He's not given us what we deserve. Even when we were his enemies, he sent his own son for us. He forgave us, adopted us as his children. He cares for us and dwells with us by his spirit. And one day he'll restore all things and live with us forever. He has given good to us. We can do good to those around us with his help. See, as we live out this radical heart righteousness of Jesus' kingdom, it would be easy for us to be self-righteous, to be harsh and judgmental and act as if we're self-sufficient. But that's not the humble righteousness of Jesus' kingdom, and that's not what Jesus is calling us to here. Instead, we need to keep our perspective on our own sinfulness and on God's goodness to us in Jesus so we can be humble to others, dependent on God, and do good to all. We'll only do that with God's help. Let's ask him now. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we recognise our absolute need for you. We still battle with the flesh. We still live according to our sinful desires. We still struggle to honour you in the way that we live. Father, we still have logs in our lives. Please forgive us for times when we have judged others harshly, when we've not been aware of our own sin. Please forgive us for times when we've been self-reliant instead of asking and seeking and knocking in trust that you will give. Please forgive us for times when we have not treated others as we would like to be treated. Father, please give us wisdom by your spirit. Please change us from the heart out so we might live with this humble righteousness that honours you because you have shown great grace to us in Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen.